Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter and joining me as always is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm in the middle of midterms, but very soon I'll be going to Florida for spring break. Oh, there you go. Get a little spring early here. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of Oscars wrap-up. It's uh, happened over a week ago, so these will not exactly be the freshest of takes. And uh, honestly, we're getting a little bit sick of the Oscars, <laughs> so we're going to keep this as brief as possible. Um, sort of sum up the major awards. Possibly the biggest surprise of the evening was Green Book winning Best Picture. A lot of people thought that Roma was uh, not guaranteed to get that, but the heavy favorite. And especially after we saw Alfonso Cuaron come over with Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Foreign Film, it seemed like we were just going to get uh, <laughs> the clean sweep for Roma. But um, Green Book won Best Original Screenplay. What did I thought Roma did? No, Green Book won. Oh, That's never the mind. sign that I thought Green Book was, could win. <laughs> well, there we go. That automatically just poked holes in my story. But uh, we were saying before the Oscars that Green Book and Roma seemed like the only two real possibilities to win. So it's not a total shock that Green Book ended up winning. But uh, <laughs> it definitely was unexpected. And I couldn't make a whole lot of judgments at the time because I still hadn't seen Green Book. But I uh, made a real <laughs> purpose to see it last week and I saw it last Friday. And I went into it expecting to really hate it because of all the backlash it got. But I mean, it was a surprisingly good sort of feel-good movie, like a 7 out of 10. I can easily see why so many Oscar voters were charmed by it. Um, but after seeing it, it definitely isn't anywhere close to a top 5 or top 10. Most certainly not top 1 movie of last year. So I wouldn't say it's a worthy winner. Um, it's not the worst Best Picture winner I've ever seen, but uh, it's definitely like a meh kind of thing, like nothing to get that excited about. Uh, you saw it a while ago, didn't you? Yeah, I saw it last year, and while I was watching it, uh, I just thought it was very charming and well-acted. It is a very old-fashioned film, but I was you get swept up in it, and it's, just, it's one of those films that's really well put together, and you're just very entertained by it, and I think the strongest... Part of it is the acting, uh, Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen. And I've always been a big fan of Viggo, especially from uh, the films he's done with David Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. But I think that even though it's a very kind of broad performance on the surface, you know, hey, you're breaking my balls, <laughs> yeah. you know, that thing. He's very uh, generic it's... Italian. He's a bouncer at the Copacabana. It's like... <laughs> I know someone like did a comparison of like it's really bad that Green Book won best original screenplay versus like the favorite and they had this uh. script pages on Twitter next to each other and the favorite was like this really smart ex <laughs> you know ex uh, absurd what's the word acerbic uh, acerbic you know dialogue and then it's like Green Book it's like hey you're breaking my balls what you <laughs> you know it's it's like that Tony Lip I mean get I, I bet the guy <laughs> Yeah, I think it's probably realistic of like how he talked, you know, he wasn't a very educated man. But yeah, I mean, the film is old fashioned, but its heart is definitely in the right place. And yeah. it's, you know, it has a good message. It's just very uh, simple. And yeah, uh, from, uh, I think it's 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 far. It's charming. Yeah. From Peter Farrelly's or Bobby, I can't remember which Farrelly brother it is. But from his Golden Globe speech, Peter. I was expecting a very preachy, like broad statement on race relations but it was a very 
it was really just focused on like the one character Viggo Mortensen plays his family and Mahershala Ali sort of exists on the periphery um, even though he is supposed to be a central character it's definitely not as much about him as it is uh, Viggo Mortensen's character so I didn't I really didn't feel like it had that much to say about you know race relations or anything like that um like so I was sort of surprised after watching it from what I'd heard about you know Peter Farrelly's mission for the movie and you know uh, a movie how in such times where people are being separated about bringing people together but I don't know it was a very small personal kind of movie um so I don't know I was surprised by how it's, little it had to say about race relations to be quite honest I think that one reason it won is because there you know there might be like coastal people that think oh Roma or Black Klansman or the favorite are obviously better films but there are, you know a lot of people in middle America that see a movie like Green Book and that to them like is the best film of the year you know they they won't even see Roma uh, or <laughs> yeah. the favorite but uh, they they you know, a movie like Green Book is just very easily digestible mm-hmm. and really charming. Like I I was having a dinner uh, with some uh, uh, friends and there was an older couple and and it's like he repeatedly was like, "Isn't that just a wonderful film, Green Room?" And I went, "No, it's, it's Green Book. Green, <laughs> Green Room's a very, a very different, different movie. movie. <laughs> They're both about racist. Yeah, I yeah I said they're both about racism, but." Um, yeah, I think yeah, I've heard people say uh, the Green Book, Green Mile, uh-huh. Green Room, but um, yeah, there are certain films that people always mess up the title. But uh, Green Book is uh, yeah, I would I, seven out of ten is exactly what I would yeah. give it. It's it didn't knock me out. There was nothing original about it, but it was well made. It was really beautifully shot, um, really well acted just not anything special which is so weird that it won best picture i guess that comes to like the preferential ballot where nobody hated it or someone might have put roma as like bottom of their list but i don't think anybody really hated green book except for maybe spike lee (laughs) well i it's interesting i wonder how much of roma not winning was because it was netflix i wonder if because the idea is that spielberg is yeah well, Spielberg. The articles I've read have said Spielberg was going around telling people to vote for Green Book as a vote for real cinema, and that Netflix oh, wow. is not real cinema. Um, and I, I mean, I have to say, I kind of agree more with Spielberg than I uh, disagree with him. I think that if a film goes straight to Netflix, it's a TV movie. Like if Orange Is the New Black is a TV series, and something just plays on streaming and it doesn't play in theaters at all high flying bird is a tv movie i mean it's definitely a point to that um i'm um, like the twin peaks the return but, is a tv series it, yeah it's, it wasn't Miniseries. a movie that's why yeah. it was weird why people were putting it on their top 10 movies of the year list um i know but why is high flying bird if it's not released in cinemas why high flying bird I mean, is more a of a tv movie, movie than roma was because roma at least was in theaters it played in. Th- oh, that's the question. Is, it's definitely I don't different than it, like what Cold War and Suspiria were, where they were released theatrically and didn't stream for some time afterwards. Um, right, I don't know. But I, I don't. The, the upcoming Scorsese movie is going to be a big sort of test case for that. Um, I guess they're going to release it on the same date, but I don't what, know. He's no? such a movie guy, The Irishman. I'd be surprised yeah, well, that's if the like thing it that's didn't get a... Spielberg. 
Yeah, like Scorsese and Scorsese are best fans. Yeah, exactly. So that's going to be. We'll we'll see what the reception is about that. If there's a big blowback that that's a Netflix movie, and not necessarily a traditional theatrical release, because it is Scorsese. Like he's the god of like modern cinema up there with Spielberg. So, and people ignore him just because it's on Netflix. That would be crazy. Well, and it has a two hundred million dollar budget supposedly, and I just worry that. We're going to get to the point, I've said this over and over, where they're going to be, you know, Captain Marvel and Fast and Furious and animated films and horror films and family films. They'll play everywhere. But it's going to be every small movie almost will only go to streaming or play in very select major cities like New York and L.A. and Chicago. And, you know, I don't like that I had to drive all the way to Atlanta to see the best reviewed film of last year, Roma, and the Coen Brothers new film. And I don't like that Steven Soderbergh's new film only went to Netflix. And that was his choice. But to me, cinema is, you know, like it was 100 years ago, 120 years ago. It is sitting in a cinema with a group of strangers in the dark with a flickering image. Yeah, That's what cinema is. group is a pretty is. important part of it. And I just – yeah, I mean I worry that we're getting so separated as a culture even though there's this idea that we're – you know, more connected than ever. I think we're, you know, we're not connected in many ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'll bring us to uh, the second biggest sort of surprise of the night that made us both very happy. That was sort of a hard transition there, but <laughs> I had nowhere else to go. <laughs> it was Olivia Coleman winning Best Actress for the favorite win. I think they had closed the betting on Glenn Close uh, for the wife for the Oscars because everyone thought it was such a lock. Um, I've expressed before that I don't really think Olivia Colman is the lead actress in this movie, but her performance nonetheless is incredible. So it was really, and it was one of the moments of the night to see Olivia Colman win Best Actress. I'm very happy that that happened. I've gone back and watched the video and looked at each of the five actresses to see their expression and Glenn Close just like gritted her teeth and was like, Okay, I did not win. I look like a giant Oscar myself in my gold gown. And then uh, Lady Gaga was like, oh my. Like she was, you know, I, I don't I think Lady Gaga was, ex- you know, she, I would have said that she was the second place after Oh yeah, Close. if it wasn't going to so, be Glenn uh, Close, I thought it would have been Lady Gaga. So <laughs> Olivia Colman was yeah, way out Melissa- of the field. I know. Well, uh, Melissa McCarthy was like, oh, wow, that happened. And then Alicia <laughs> yeah. was like, I'm at the Oscars. You know, um, yeah, she was like, just happy. You know, it's like there was no way. Again. I don't speak English. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, they. I, I think that she, uh, you know, it's wonderful she got nominated. Oh. And uh, but, you know, there was like no chance she was going to win. No. <laughs> but, yeah, I was very happy. And she gave one of the best speeches of the night. She was very funny and uh, emotional, but not I. I I understand it can be really emotional to some people, but I, I find it really annoying when people get up and they can barely speak and they're like, uh, 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 and it's just like they're snotting and everywhere. It's just like <laughs> suck it up and just say a few words and get off. Like yeah. that, there was the African American woman that won for Black Klansman. It seemed like oh, she yeah. talked for eight minutes and she, and like the other thing is speeches. Never name more than twenty people. There should be a limit. Like nobody knows who you're talking about. Like <laughs> the twenty third like, most they, important they... to the production of the movie probably doesn't need to be mentioned. <laughs> I know. It's like when when Peter Fairley won best when it won best picture, he brought out the sheet and he just started randomly listing people and it's oh, yeah. like 
you know, like th- let the show end. Like just say <laughs> thank you and nod your head and go. Well, the worst like, I like one Joe of the Pesci. night was what was it? Best makeup for Vice. Do you remember that one? Where it was the three winners and just none of them were like making any sense and none of them knew what to say and they were just rambling. <laughs> right. Well, I liked uh, I liked um, seeing uh, Samuel Jackson go, oh, Spike Lee, oh, yeah. and he jumped on him and hugged him. But I don't. I didn't like it. Was Spike Lee seemed really nervous? Like the first like thirty seconds of yeah. his speech, he was just listing off dates. I was like, wait, what? I can't follow this. And plus, <laughs> yeah. they bleeped him at the very beginning. Oh yeah. Well, you called that one from a long way out, the career achievement yeah. award for Spike Lee for adapted screenplay. <laughs> right. I mean, there weren't, besides, the, I mean, there was like, not a ton of there surprises. weren't any categories where the, well, there were none that, it, it's like, all of them were the first or second place, most likely, mm. except I would say Olivia Coleman was third, and like, I wasn't, yeah. you know, beyond shocked that she won it was just like oh i thought it would be the other two but like it was kind of like you know like glenn close was like 50 percent chance and then lady gaga was like 30 percent chance yeah. and olivia coleman was like 20 percent chance yeah or you know but, well, i think uh, at the end of the day most of the voters that, just but... did not see the wife <laughs> you know so yeah. they just didn't and vote for because that... they never saw it and it's one of those where you know the favorites nominated for 10 and the mm. wife that's the only nomination the film got yeah and it came out early in the year. And uh, I liked how someone wrote on Twitter that, uh, well, maybe Glenn Close can take solace in this, that I was on a plane and nearly everyone was watching The Wife on the airplane. <laughs> so maybe it, it will get them to at least see the film. And it's funny, though, that she is, it's been in, talk, in talks for the, a while, but since she lost the Oscar, they've had to bring up already that they're doing a film version of the musical of Sunset Boulevard with her, which I saw her on stage do. Oh, wow. I don't know if I ever mentioned that. Um, and But people might forget that Gloria Swanson did not win for Sunset Boulevard. She lost. It was like one of the craziest losses. It was not her or Betty Davis for All About Eve or Ann Baxter. It was Judy Holiday for Born Yesterday for Screwball, ah. you know, romantic comedy. Good movie, um, though. So I'll that was like one of the biggest shows. Born yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. actually a very anyway, solid um, year. <laughs> yeah, but um, I was going to say it wasn't surprising Rami Malik won, but that was kind of like, ugh, that wasn't yeah. that shouldn't Not surprising, have won. but disappointing. Um, yeah. I was going to say, I think Green Book is better than uh, Black Panther, Vice, and um, Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I definitely don't think it's the worst of the best eight best picture nominees. It and Black Panther are on pretty similar standing, in my view. Um, I like both of them. I probably like watching Black Panther more, but yeah, Green Book is a good movie. Like, I can't sit here and say it's a bad movie. Like, uh, it's definitely. Like, would you say it's better 10. than Vice? I kind of liked Vice, but I definitely got to a point in Vice where I'm like, when is this going to end? When I could have watched Green Book for a little bit longer, like. I had more fun watching Green Book for sure. Yeah, I just think that, um, I mean, to me, the best were uh, Roma, Black Klansman, and The Favorite. Those were the three that were in my top ten of last year. But, um, yeah, were there any other categories you were pleasantly surprised or you liked the speeches? I mean, what about the show overall? Uh, I thought that the lack of a host was not very noticeable. Um, 
I could see that being the way they do it going forward. They don't have to pay a host, and we didn't get any of those stupid gimmicks like the Ellen DeGeneres selfie or the Jimmy Kimmel ordering pizza for people. So I'm glad we got to avoid those things. The opening with Queen was a little bit weird. I was like, what does this have to do with the Oscars? And they played like three songs, and Adam Lambert, uh, I'm not a huge fan of his, so uh, I could have done without that. Yeah, I... Um, Good to see when First I, Man when I, win Best I, Visual I, Effects. That made me happy. I um I was uh I I watched the show recorded and I fast I I have to be honest I fast forwarded through all the songs even Cooper and Gaga singing I, I was like too, I don't yeah. care <laughs> yeah but um it's because I actually went to see we'll talk about it in a little bit but I went to Atlanta and saw five films in just over twenty four hours and I went to see Never Look Away which is over three hours long so I got home you know and watched it recorded. So I fast forwarded and I and, um, you know, honestly, you know, we were like huffing and puffing about, oh, how dare they have some of the categories uh, later? Uh, you know, they're going to edit it. But like there's like probably seven minutes of the show of people just like walking up to the stage. Oh, it's yeah. like I wouldn't be yeah. so horrified if they like cut they got rid <laughs> some of the of short films the... or something like that. Or I mean, yeah, I really don't have to hear the, the speeches for any of them. I get how important it is to recognize industry professionals, but these people aren't good public speakers. <laughs> so just putting them up on stage and forcing us to listen to them for a couple of minutes when they're like, you know, <laughs> they're craftsmen. They're not actors. They're not performers. So getting them to perform is a little bit unnatural for them, and it makes for some <laughs> bad television. So I don't know. Maybe cut the speeches down. Yeah. Uh- we really didn't need any of the yeah. musical performances as uh, as much as people wanted the Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, um, like Bette Midler singing a song from Mary Poppins. Nobody wants to watch that. Uh, <laughs> if they had had Kendrick well, uh, Lamar well, and SZA, I mean, it would have been pretty cool, but they didn't have them to do uh, all the stars from Black Panther. I mean, with Bette Midler doing a song from Mary Poppins, like the Oscars are contractually obligated to be a certain amount of gay. So they, <laughs> you know, they got to do something like that. But um, I, yeah, I was, you know, it's, it, it wasn't like, I mean, I've seen some years where the host, like I hated, I, I hate Seth MacFarlane in general. So I yeah, didn't like him as a host. One, and I remember, I, I remember Neil Patrick Harris was kind of forgettable. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of am always like, just shut up. I want to get to the awards. I yeah. want to see who's going to win. Um, but yeah, so no, no huge surprises besides Olivia Coleman being uh, somewhat surprising. And Green <laughs> yeah. Book was, it, I think people, you know, they. It, I think most people thought Roma was number one, yeah. most likely, and then Green Book was number two. Yeah. And when it actually won, people were like, oh my gosh. But you're like, well, yeah. we weren't, we really weren't. Sh- Shouldn't have been surprised. No, I almost expected it, like, when they were announcing. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be Green Book. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you previously... I mean, uh... like... Oh, you can go and finish that, though. Well, I was going to say, has there ever been a foreign language film to win for Best Director before? Uh, did Roberto Benigni win for Life is Beautiful, or was that Best Actor? Um, he won Best Actor in Best Foreign Language Film. Okay. I can't think off the top of my head if there's ever been a for- – I know that a foreign language film has never won uh, Best Picture. Now, the artist won Picture and Director, but that's a foreign film. But, it's since but it's it has silent, like John Goodman and uh, – <laughs> it is yeah. not exactly a yeah. foreign movie. 
So there's never, there's still never been a foreign language film to win Best Picture. And off the top of my head, like I, I don't think like Bergman or Fellini or any of those people actually no, won Best Director. They got nominations. They, I know that. I'm just throwing a real quick and honorary right Oscar. Here. This is good, right? Yeah, now. I don't. I'm pretty. <laughs> sh- I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but um. Anyway, uh, do we want to talk about the uh, foreign language nominee that we both saw? I actually saw all five of them. Um, oh wow! And I saw two of them on the same day of the Oscars before. Yeah, the we can go ahead I saw and mention. Uh, Nef- yeah, you live or look right. away. I actually just saw that today because it got a best cinematography and the best. Foreign Are you not language still watching film. it? <laughs> I mean, it made for a very interesting contrast to a movie we've mentioned uh, pretty often here on previous episodes, Cold War, and that they're both epics that span uh, a pretty significant amount of time and are concerned with artists living in the Soviet sort of bloc uh, post-World War II. But while Cold War was an hour and a half and bared down to only the most essential sort of moments to make up the narrative... (laughs) Uh, Never Look Away was sort of the exact opposite in that it really luxuriated in like the sort of foreign film kind of moments, uh, like stylistically. And, you know, just a guy running through a meadow for a minute and stuff like that. Um, Not to say that I didn't like it, but it made for a very interesting contrast for Cold War, especially since they were both nominated for cinematography and foreign language film. And Cold War is, you know, black and white, (laughs) very austere. And Never Look Away is very exuberantly formalistic. So, I don't know. I just couldn't help but make the connection when I was watching it. Right. Even though it's a three-hour and eight-minute foreign language (laughs) film about, you know, a painter. And it's about Nazi persecution and, you know, exterminating mentally challenged people. Like, really heavy subject. It's a very accessible film. It really Um, is. It's very... uh, it's it's like a you know it's one of those foreign language films if you can put up with the running time it's yeah. it goes down very easily even though there's tough tough subject matter in it it's it's very accessible and it's I don't know it sort of feels like a very uh what people expect from foreign films when they go see one you know what i mean <laughs> like the sort right. of it's uh, like... period piece thing but a little bit exper- you get some nudity and some sex in it but not too much <laughs> Um, from the director, and, he'd previously yeah, done The Lives of Others in 2006 and The Taurus, which was a big bomb in 2010. Uh, Florian Hinkle von... Uh, what's her, what's that? His, his name is almost as long as the film. <laughs> yeah, Florian Hinkle von Donnersmark, a very German name. Um, but very right. much a return to form for him after The Taurus, which I don't think was all his fault. I know there was a lot of... Uh, changing up of actors and directors and he didn't have control of the script completely which he did have in the lives of others in this movie but very much a return to form the lives of others is probably one of the best foreign films of the century um and never look away was very close to reaching uh the heights that movie did well i have not seen the lives of others i should but uh, i've heard people (laughs) say that yeah, you know it beat uh, it beat Pan's Labyrinth that year yeah. uh, for foreign language film. Oh, it's but, really um, good. Yeah, um, I think that set in East Germany yeah, I mean, like it, this movie, so it seems like there's a pattern. His best movies are <laughs> concerned with East Germany. Maybe avoid Taurus and Venice in future movies. <laughs> 
Well, uh, Never Look Away is a movie that, while you're watching it and you're engaged with it, and, and it's and it's entertaining. Like I said, even though it has, you know, um, disturbing aspects to it, but uh, by the end of it, I was kind of like, this didn't really need to be this long. And it's not no. that it like majorly <laughs> drags, but it it's just there. There's it's one of those films where they will like take 20 minutes to like go through a subplot that in other films they would have cut out um, or they would have really truncated. Uh, but oh, yeah, totally. I thought the, you know, yeah, go ahead. I mean, it was, there were a lot of shots of our protagonist who is a painter who's, uh, you know, grows up in East Germany and is forced to paint in the socialist realism style while all he wants to do is paint abstract and express his inner truth, which he discovered from you know his mentally ill uh, aunt who is exterminated by the Nazis, and he witnesses you know his dad hangs himself. Some very troubling stuff, and it's all basically about an artist coming to terms with what he wants to express to the world. <laughs> and it that sounds like something that really shouldn't be as long as it is, <laughs> and it could have been maybe a half hour shorter. We get a lot of shots of him looking at an empty canvas, thinking about what he's going to paint. Um, but it was good, and it was. I've never really seen an epic like that about <laughs> an artist trying to find out what he wants to paint. Like, the subject of it at the end of the day wasn't something you think about being worthy of an epic. So, for it to be that well, long and as there, entertaining there, as it was, was an achievement. <laughs> well, I've never seen it, but Jacques Rivette has a four hour film about a painter trying to paint something. Uh, I can't remember the title. It's a. French film, but uh, somehow yeah, I think that movie is a little film. more boring than this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's all subjective, I guess. Oh, yeah. But I do, um, yeah. I I actually would say that this is my least favorite of the five nominees for best foreign language film. But mm-hmm. they were all like good films. Uh, I mean, to me, Roma was the best, uh, and better than all five of them was Burning, mm-hmm. which was not nominated, which should have been, which comes, which came out today. Well, recording on Tuesday, Burning is now on Blu-ray, so everyone go out and see that. Um, but yeah, I also saw Capernaum, uh, if that's how you pronounce it. Uh, it was one of the it's foreign the language nominees. Movie. It's yeah, directed by a woman. And um, you want to talk about heavy? Um, this movie <laughs> is about like a little kid. Yeah, it's about a little kid that is going around, and uh, you know his daughter i mean uh, he has a sis, uh, he has a sister that's basically being sold as a child bride at like 13 or something or even younger oh, and so. uh he runs away from his parents and he uh befriends this um african woman that cleans at a carnival and he helps take care of her child during the day and then she gets picked up by the immigration authorities and he has to like take care of this like tiny infant and he's like 13 years old and yeah it's very traumatic but it's very it's one of those films that's very you know gritty and you know shows the horrors of the world but it's also has this you know beauty and grace to it sort of like italian Um, kind of movie like a yeah, bicycle yeah, thieves yeah, where much. like everything sucks but it's a pretty good movie. <laughs> right, right. And um yeah, I, I found it stirring and uh uh it, it was it was definitely worth seeing and it's um it it, it p- played in pretty wide release for a foreign film probably because of the uh nomination mm-hmm. but um it's probably playing still in some art house theaters. But uh do you have anything else to say about Never Look Away or can I uh talk about Godard for a little bit? 
Um, just I don't know. I'd endorse people to see it. The runtime is definitely very daunting. Um, but I don't know. It was an interesting movie. I mean, it wasn't like it didn't blow me away. I liked Cold War better from the foreign movies. I also liked Roma better. Um, but I don't know. It's good to see. Uh, the director Florian Hinkle von Donnersmark make another really good movie. Um, cause after the tourist, it seemed like we were never gonna see anything like uh, the lives of others from eight him years. again. Yeah, eight years ago. So I mean, and I didn't know this came out. So just to hear that it was nominated for best foreign language film and best cinematography, it got me very excited about it, and oh, it lived up to my expectations upon seeing it. Um. So yeah, you can go ahead and talk about when Godard's I... newest crazy movie. <laughs> so uh, Jean-Luc Godard is 88 years old. He had his newest film, The Image Book, premiere last May at the Cannes Film Festival. He did not show up. He uh, was uh, accessed by FaceTime at the press conference. So they had the journalist come up to the phone at the front of the stage and ask him a question as he droned on via cell phone on FaceTime. Um, but is a new film came out in the U.S. in January, and it is as baffling and opaque and demanding as anything that I've seen in a movie in recent years. And you kind of have to just get on Godard's wavelength or you're just going to find it maddening. And, uh, you know, I can't say that I know, you know, a quarter of what he's trying to say in the film, but it provoked me and made me think. I think one of the things he's trying to say is that we are so inundated with images these days. Back when cinema first came around, the moving image was really, you know, unique. You know, you had you know, the pictures spinning and like the, the xenotropes or, you know, the, yeah, the devices like that, but move cinema is like a really well, an image. I know a lot of people now, bring up are the close-ups and uh, what is it? The trial of Joan of Arc. We're just like seeing a human face and close-up had a power in the twenties that it just does not yeah, have today because yeah. we're so inundated with these yeah, the images. Passion, like you said, yeah, the passion of Joan of Arc. Yeah. The, um, yeah, the, there's, there's clips from that. In Godard's new film, there's I part of the fun of the movie is just picking up on all the film clips. Like, oh, there's freaks, there's Jaws, there's Citizen Kane, there's Vertigo, there's Duck Soup. Why is this here? What does that oh, mean? Wow. They'll be so like, what is like the? How does like what does it look thesis. like? It's just like cuts of other movies with music <laughs> played over it. Watch the trailer. It's like <laughs> I it's saw exactly the trailer. Like Eighty-four minutes. <laughs> it's like insane. It's like that for. <laughs> Yeah, it's that for 84 minutes. Okay. I mean, it truly is. It's just random distort. He'll distort images like it will be in the correct aspect ratio, and then it will like suddenly shift to being uh, distorted, and a lot of the images look washed out, or like he, you know, did LSD uh, with the images. I mean, I don't know exactly all he did with them, but it combines old film footage and real news footage. Uh, I mean, the thing that I think he's partially trying to say is that we are so uh, we, there's this barrage of images in the modern day. We all have or a lot of people have cell phones, iPhones in their pocket. We have computers at home and at work. We go on the subway. We go any everywhere. There's screens these days and the moving image doesn't have as much power. Mm. And he shows like a clip of an old movie where people are black. 
blindfolded and shot and pushed off a boat. And then he shows a clip of an ISIS video that looks exactly the same. And it's partially saying, you know, is there a difference now? It's just more content for us to click on our phone and we can share it on social media. And I mean, one of the most (laughs) kind of dark things he has to say in the film is early he keeps flashing Hollywood remake, Hollywood remake. And he shows like scenes of the Holocaust. And he's like, Partially, I think he's saying that we're more concerned with Hollywood remakes than stopping, you know, the terror and violence in the world. I mean, I sometimes wonder how many how many people under 30 saw Black Panther versus voted in the last midterm (laughs) or in the last presidential election. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I just in that like I don't have a problem with someone saying Black Panther, but if you did. And you didn't vote, like well, especially if you're very vocal me. about and, this movies changing the world and stuff like that, and you're not really doing anything yeah, the, about yeah, it. Yeah, th- yeah, that's the thing. If you act like Black Panther is this incredibly important cultural event, and you didn't vote in the last election against Donald Trump, like you have nothing to say. Like yeah. that is absurd. That you know, and people, I, you know, and I also get so irritated when people like you see these pictures of Brie Larson with like a little girl, and like Captain Marvel is so empowering to women. Oh, no, yeah. it's a giant, massive corporation <laughs> making this stupid the fucking corporation comic book still movie. owned by men, and you know, <laughs> men still yeah, profiting off just, it. Yeah, it's and like it's funny that the, the image of inclusivity is a pretty white blonde girl. <laughs> And and it's like, oh, you know, we're going to buy up a whole theater of, so inner city children can see Captain Marvel and Black Panther because it's so important. No, it's important to get them engaged and, like, register them to vote when they're old when, enough. Yeah, not, you know, not, not that thing. entertainment and art isn't important. But Captain Marvel isn't. <laughs> but anyway, but, but the Godard film is provocative and angry i love the fact that i mean he was 87 when the film premiered but he is angry and the the i the the thing i said is that it's a film that restored my faith in cinema by questioning if cinema still matters and what you know the moving images mean Hmm. it's interesting just to think about john luc godard who i associate so much with the 60s even still making films today and using something like FaceTime. That's so funny to me to think about. That's like, <laughs> it's like Marcel well, Proust using FaceTime. Cause I don't think of him as existing in the modern age. So it's crazy that he's coming out with the movie at this old of an age and making one that apparently to you still is, has a lot to say and is actually pretty vital and maybe yeah. more vital than movies that people in their twenties and thirties are making, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, his last film, the other point I was going to make about it, his previous feature film, Goodbye to Language, he made in 3D. And Goodbye to Language, I think that's part of the question he asked, too, is is language dying? Uh, do, are, you know, does text matter anymore? Are images the new text? It's like we've, getting, we've gotten to a point where, you know, do, people don't read anymore. No, they learn more from the videos moving we image watch. than they do from the written word. That's for damn sure. I know. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's questioning, you know, we think that, oh, because something's recorded, because we see footage of something, that means it's real. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the line of Chico Marx and Duck Soup where he says, who are you going to believe, me or your own eyes? <laughs> and I just think that I, I question, you know, I, I don't like the idea of fake news and like, you know, oh, that's not real. They manipulated that image. But, you know. 
there are images that are manipulated and just because we see footage of something doesn't mean you know that's what i I don't entirely know what the hell Godard's trying to say but th- it made <laughs> me think of all these different yeah. uh things you know what do images mean what is uh should you the take them at face value right and it's just it's disturbing to see all this footage of isis and you know terrorist attacks and then he p- puts it right ne- next to footage of you know old classic movies and it looks the same and mm-hmm. you know he shows you know old swashbuckler movie and someone gets stabbed with a sword and then he shows an isis video and i just think that it question it makes you question uh, what do what is what is what do moving images mean in 2018 and 2019? So uh, I I don't know if it's playing anywhere in theaters still, but it's if if you're in the mood uh, for a very demanding long 84 minute movie uh, by an old cranky <laughs> artist, it's it's definitely worth seeing. I mean, you got to be in the mood for it, and the best way to see it is in a theater because you know it, it's a movie that. It, it it keeps stopping and going and stopping and screeching and it's it's very disorienting. It's a movie that's not at all. It's almost more like an art installation that mm. would be playing on a in a loop in a museum. Oh yeah, it sounds so like something I'd be at the Guggenheim. The image book. <laughs> right. I'm seeing well, that it's only playing some... in eight states in the U.S. right now. <laughs> well, did you see that uh, Lars von Trier has done some art exhibit where he's taking his films and turning them into diamonds? I did see that. I thought that was <laughs> one of the most ludicrous things I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah. So um, looking forward to uh, wrapping up, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I can't wait to see Gaspar Noe's new film, Climax. And I also want to see a movie called Birds of Passage, which is um, but one of the directors is uh, a guy who did em- Embrace of the Serpent, which was nominated for ah. Best Foreign Language Film a few years ago. It's gotten very good reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, I don't care about seeing Captain Marvel because <laughs> yeah. I'm an adult and I'm snotty. Yeah, looking at but sort what, of the stuff you... coming soon, Us is the first thing I'm really thinking I'm excited about. That's not until late in the month. Um, I don't know. There's just not a whole lot going on. Greta seemed like it might have been interesting, but uh, I looked at the reviews and they're really, really bad. Um, yeah, it has a 52 or something on Metacritic. I'm still going to see it because it's Neil Jordan and Isabel Huppert. Yeah. Um, oh, so Triple I, I Frontier go coming out it. on Netflix tomorrow. Have you heard about that one? I know. It's J.C. Chandler J. C. who Chandler, did uh, Margin Call. Oscar Isaac, Ben Affleck, Charlie Hunnan. Uh, the trailer looks preposterous. Um uh, it's weird to see J.C. Chandler making, like, a big action movie. Like, the guy who did uh, A Most Violent Year and Margin Call. So, <laughs> it's coming out on Netflix tomorrow. Well, I mean, it's a crazy cast. So, I mean, I hope it's good, but it looks like it might be a disaster. Well, I don't know. Uh, one of my Facebook friends who's a film critic said that they're not really letting critics see it, but he saw it and he said he really, really liked it and okay. said it's, like, old school action, you know, action thriller. And it's got an awesome cast. Um, it's weird that a movie with like Ben Affleck and Oscar Isaac isn't coming out in theaters, but uh, I guess we'll see if if that's a well, big. Score well, you know for what Netflix part of that is. Not. You know what that is partially to me is uh-huh. that I don't think movie stars matter as much these days. It's more about franchises and yeah, brand names. I, I yeah. like. I think I mean, that, that was proven by the, the Chris about, oh, this... Pratt Jennifer Lawrence movie. What was that? Passengers. 
That was right. like a huge flop, and they were like the two biggest stars in the world at the time, and nobody went to see it. And you know who's going to direct that originally? Uh, Passengers? I don't know. Yeah. The guy who directed Force Majeure in the Square, Ruben oh, Oss, okay. or whatever his name was. It ended up yeah. being the guy who he, did uh, uh, Imitation Game. Imitation Game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those scripts that have been around forever, and, like, the original script is, like, dark mm-hmm. and really good, supposedly, and then they, like, mucked it up when they, you know, made it a, I don't a know, they're not a couple, so they, Jay, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, that it was, like, creepy, sci-fi, like, dark, cerebral movie, and they turned it into, like, this generic, crowd-pleasing, you know, sci-fi film, yeah. but... Yeah. Probably would have turned out better like if Chris... it didn't have uh, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence in it, to be honest. Um, I like well, I don't mind Jennifer Lawrence, but Chris Pratt and I really like Chris Pratt, like when he was on Parks and Rec and yeah. some like he was in some really good films, like he was in Her and Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But but uh. But now it's just like yeah, like it, it's really it, like I don't like Guardians of the Galaxy, but he's like perfectly cast in that. Yeah, he's a very one note like, superstar. But like he, I can't take him seriously as like Jurassic World. Like no, like yeah. he, he has to be silly. Yeah, like he's he, not he Harrison Ford. I, I, he, he's not the same. No, God no, no. <laughs> but, uh, but that's sort of who he tries yeah, yeah. to be, you know, with his Jurassic yeah. Park as his. Indian but uh, yeah, moment. so that's yeah, sad. But um, <laughs> anyway, we're uh, we'll go. I, I, I'm going to Florida soon, so whatever I can see on my travels or in Florida, um, I definitely want to see Climax, which has been described as like a step-up film meets Solo. Um, uh, and I definitely want to see Birds of Passage. Uh-huh. And there's always little movies that I don't know if I'll ever get to see in a theater because I don't live in New York anymore. Yeah. Uh, th- like another three-hour-plus foreign film, The Wild Pear Tree, uh, has come out this year, and I love that director when who did that, uh, Winter uh, Sleep. When does that movie come out with uh, Penelope Cruz? Is that come this, out this month year? in oh, okay. Spain? It, well, in its home country, it comes out this month. Ah, last okay, I so read. we might not see it until um, January twenty twenty in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might push it towards. Uh, well, we're going to say this one last time: Oscar season <laughs> uh, later this year. But um, yeah, I, I don't want to do like two episodes from now. Oh, what are our Oscar predictions? But <laughs> our uh, way too oh, early Oscar picks. <laughs> I know. Well, there's one more thing. Have you seen the trailer for the new horror film by the director of Hereditary? Oh, I have it up on my computer. I still haven't watched it yet, but I saw Florence. Pugh yeah, is it looks. Be in it. I think she's fantastic. So I'm excited for that. Will Poulter's in it also. Um, I think. Yeah, it looks very Wicker Man like. Yeah, it's not like a festival where they do, like, cult stuff. Uh, yeah. Wicker Man not, is not probably to, a good comp for it, <laughs> but it looks exciting. Yeah. The, um, I actually was kind of disappointed with Hereditary. I thought it was really good scenes and an amazing lead performance by Tony Collette, but I feel like it didn't add up to anything, and it was just, like, really good set pieces, and the ending was silly to me, and not to give a spoiler to that film, but the, his new film seems like he's kind of going in that direction full on, which I'm okay with. And I didn't mind that Hereditary got weird, but it didn't earn it. It just was like all of a sudden it's like Wicker Man at the end of Hereditary, yeah. and it was just silly to me. But <laughs> anyway, like uh, there's always drama new... before that. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was like this really effective, um, you know, atmospheric film. But then it just got to the point where it was just like scene, scene, scene. And it just you were see- they didn't come together in any way. It was just like good set pieces. And it just felt like, ooh, I have a really effective idea for a scene. And they kept just stringing them together. And then the ending is like, ooh, this would be creepy. And it's like, but this like doesn't fit into the rest of them. Like, I don't mind a film. It's not like, like Rosemary's Baby like, where it all builds up to the crazy finale. Acted on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, don't look now. That works, but it's like that, but it doesn't work. But anyway, uh, we'll we'll talk about. Um, I'm not going to go see Captain Marvel. You can talk about it. If, yeah, yeah. But uh, just uh, the, the burning and the favorite are out on Blu-ray today uh, when we're recording this uh, on Tuesday. So they're both out now. So go see them. We promise not to discuss the Oscars. Until okay. Possibly 2020 at the earliest. <laughs> so thanks for listening. Uh, well, no, I mean, we might try to Maybe November. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> thanks for listening. We'll yeah, see you November. Okay. Stop.